1: Okay, hello everybody and welcome back to the SHOTS podcast. I'm Joe Dan, delighted to be back with you after a week off. I am here with Dave Milner.
2: G'day Joe, good to have you back.
1: And with Grace Tang. G'day, I have my pets here as well. You can't see them. Yes, so we've got extra bonus animals. Um, Zappa the dog
2: Grace. is playing the role of Charles Firth today.
1: And will probably make as much sense. <laughs> when it comes down to it, I, arguably more sense than Charles. No, look, that's unkind. We can't take advantage of Charles's absence just to diss him. No, we do that when he's here. <laughs> uh, now, it's been quite the week in politics. We've had a budget handed down, we've had a budget um, replied to in some way or another. <laughs> um, what does that mean? Well, what does
2: that mean, Joe? Let's unpack that.
1: Well, it wasn't really much of a reply, let's be honest. I mean, I think it is fair to say there was some commentary, really, on how ridiculous um, reply speeches are. I think Rachel Withers wrote a good piece that it's it's not even good theatre. Um, And it doesn't Mm -hmm. make any sense that it's the leader of the opposition that gives the reply to the budget rather than the shadow treasurer. I mean, why is it? No one pays any attention to what is actually in the opposition leader's reply speech.
2: It is inherently ridiculous, isn't it? it, Because it's the government spent this time with all their numbers and all their departments compiling this document, what's going on the next couple of years, and then the opposition leader just gets a turn to freestyle diss track all the work that they've done, (laughs) (laughs) it is pointless, it is meaningless.
1: And they've got essentially 48 hours to scrabble together something which makes them look like, uh, and I think Rachel went through what the various points are, is that you have to sort of, Put, reach your hand, hands across the chamber on a couple of very small points so it makes it look as if you are actually operating in the spirit of bipartisanship and you're here for the country um, before you then just get like stuck in generally to everything that the government has said and then you have a few little kind of thought bubble ideas at the bottom to show you really are very serious about policy. Um, and that seems to be what we kind of get, but in this particular case with one of the most spectacularly poor opposition leaders that we've had in some time, and that really is saying a lot given the quality mm. of some of our opposition leaders, it was particularly specious, I think, um, and ultimately Sorry, what that, ended what up- was that word, Joe? Specious. Specious.
2: Specious, okay. It was, when you were yeah. away last week, Grace said there were far fewer large words being used in this episode and- We've just proven that point. Well,
1: Specious is actually a yeah, small word. Yeah. True, <laughs> it's fancy. it's
2: fancy, though. That's the it's difference.
1: It's a fancy pants word. Yeah. Well, I think it is apt for dear old duts. Um, but then, as has been pointed out um, by people like Sean Kelly, that because it was so empty of and vacuous of really anything, um, there had to be the dog whistles. There had to be the kind of let's rush to the bottom and let's remind everybody that I'm actually a racist asshole um, yeah. by talking about big Australia and how now those migrants are coming for your houses. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, you know, the thing about it is, I guess, is that, you know, you could actually say, no, let's have a sensible debate about migration and population size and housing, or you could just blow um, a dog whistle. Uh, (laughs) It's so funny when (laughs) those figures
0: like Peter Dutton make those points without the full
1: story behind those points you mean the full story in terms of the fact that they had well if they're going to say things like well if to- they're going to
0: make dog whistles like now the migrants are coming for your houses why not say things like will gina Reinhart and co um want really cheap labor um, and uh, you know uh,
1: that's why um, there's lots of people coming for your houses. Well, the thing about it is which is um, apart from anything else it's like ridiculously uh, hypocritical because exactly, as you say, that's what i'm when saying. when um, Dutton was talking to business forums, what at the end of last year, he was actually promoting the fact that we need to reopen the borders as quickly as possible to get those supplies of cheap labour coming in and he was saying we need more migration um, mm. and particularly short-term employment-based migration. So now because it's politically expedient and it is that thing and Morrison did it and it's interesting how much... Dutton still seems to be shaping himself in the kind of Morrison strategic form, yep. disgustingly, that as if we're going to forget everything that was said in his history uh, and only take on face value what he is saying today. So yeah, a few months ago dog- we need more migration, now we may need less migration. A few months ago um, they were coming for you, the migrants were coming for your jobs, and now they're coming for your houses.
0: Yeah. Just-
2: it's also a dog whistle that doesn't, I mean, no dog whistle really helps solve a problem. This one, like, muddies it and distracts from from you know in a number of ways because it's a myth that it's just unskilled migration. We have, yeah, I, I was chatting to a friend that is a scientist in a laboratory doing really fancy brainy stuff this week, and she and they're struggling to hire people that can do that in Australia. They need skilled migration at this level. It's not at all what Dutton's framing it as.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's no. just all this
2: of is, This isn't an Australian person's job that's missing. This is someone that need you know, a unique skill set, and we need them from the rest of the world to help us make extraordinary stuff to make our country better. It's very yeah. funny.
0: It's very funny, These the, the Liberal Party, if you will. Um <laughs> Whatever it's whatever, it's, whatever, it's morphed, <laughs> whatever it's whatever whatever it's it's morphed into or degenerated into, um, you know, because they sort of, I guess, it's funny how they kind of associate themselves with or traditionally associate themselves with like the kind of like the capitalist m- model. Like a classic example, I guess, is this sort of like new stadium um, that's been proposed in Tasmania, because I'm Tasmanian.
1: Oh, yeah. And so uh, how's the mood yeah, down there well, on the issue of the stadium? Because we've had Jackie Lambie going that you've all had a Gutful, and they could stick the stadium up your bum which, in her indomitably eloquent way. What is, what is
2: Grace Tame, Tasmanian of the year? Previously, what is her take on the stadium oh, in Tasmania? Well,
1: it's a quite a divisive issue. Okay, so
0: there's one thing, like you know, the team is one thing, and yeah, no, the team is the one. It's outrageous
1: one that people try and conflate these two things. That if you don't support the stadium, therefore you can't support. The team, or you don't support the team. When clearly there are many people who support the idea of a Tasmanian AFL team, who just go, "But hey, why the hell do we need another stadium in a in a town the size of Hobart?" Well, okay, so we've
0: got two stadiums, two big stadiums down here. You know, we've got Blundstone Arena, and we don't actually we don't we rarely fill it to capacity. And the argument that was made by Jeremy Rockcliffe for having the stadium is that it would, you know, was for economic reasons that it would be good economically, and that's sort of, you know, again, there's another myth here, because, you know, like I just said, we don't fill it to capacity. And, you know, there's always this, this job creation line, oh, it's good for jobs, good for jobs, good for jobs. But like you said before about, you know, skilled labor and to build a stadium, that's not just classic um, construction. It's not just a, it's not just any old uh, builder can come and build a stadium. You're talking about a, a specific type of 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 labour that you need to build that. You're also talking about specific types of engineers who would probably need to be, um, you know, brought in from the mainland to to, to build that. And so you're not talking about local job creation there. Um, And, you know, yeah, this is like the, you can't just instantly hire people from from Tasmania to build the stadium. And so there's sort of like to, to actually unpack all of the, you know, parts.
1: Yeah. um, The other two kind of issues around it though as well is that it's like, you know, even if you did need another stadium, um, why is it that the governments, both state and federal, are being asked to pay for it and why isn't the AFL Incredibly rich sporting body making a much more significant contribution because, on what, the flip what, side, what? when it is governments being asked to pay for it, like why the why why are Tasmanian they... governments, the opportunity cost of everything else that then is not being bought and paid for with that money that's going into the stadium again, why
0: aren't why aren't the the immediate problems being dealt with by both sides? This is not to, to hang on the Liberal Party or the Labor Party, you know, both both sides. Um, but we're both majors for decades um, have not pulled the appropriate levers, um, and they, they both know this to deal with the, the the crisis that we have at the moment, and that is the housing crisis. You know the rental mm. crisis, and we all know this. You know, I
2: mean, it's worse it's, than that. They've been pulling the levers to actively yes, make it worse. Yes,
0: yes, 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 yeah. and that's and that's like that's, that, that's sort of a you know we've got all this and we've talked about this like we've got all this dead money. Well, this all this dead money that's bad for the economy inside this this bubble this housing bubble um you know we've got unused space um inside these you know massive properties where there might be only one or two people who are you know they're, they're aging or whatever and they're not they're, they're not incentivized to either to to, to get a smaller house get a smaller property you know and it's it's like it, that's what's bad for the economy
1: well, and absolutely. both
0: sides know it. Both sides know it, um, but
2: they don't want I to... I mean, let's talk... I mean, we had John on last week talking about his situation as a Zoomer on Seeker, looking for work. Every single extra dollar he gets, he will he pumps it into the local, you know, supermarket, pumps yeah. it into all the surrounding infrastructure, keeps that floating. Someone with lots of money, retired, three investment properties negatively geared, it's just completely different situations.
1: Well, look, it is. And then there's also the issue of kind of empty houses. And even here in New South Wales, there's this modest proposal that perhaps some empty, like if you leave your property vacant, then you have to pay tax on it. And you've got the Real Estate Institute of New South Wales jumping up and down and saying, oh, no, that will encroach on property rights and that will impact on investment decisions and seemingly missing the point that that's exactly what the tax would be designed to do. We keep talking about this industry
2: as though it's, an investment, but investments inherently come with risk. Mm. And if you get it wrong, you do cop it in every other type of investment. Why is it this protected sanctity? Why is this a casino that the government will prop you up if you go down? This isn't this isn't how investments are meant to work, especially not when it's a face when we're actually talking about a fundamental human right. Mm. It's it's perverse.
1: It is interesting that coming out of the, well, it's not even coming out of the budget, but coming out of Budget Week, like the big first major policy clash where it looks like there is going to be impasse in the Senate and that there will the government won't get their way, at least not in the immediate to short to medium term even, is on the issue of housing um, and that the Greens are drawing a line in the sand. Now, the, the opposition, yet again, irrelevant on this. So the coalition has yet again dealt themselves out of the policy debate. But there is a genuine policy debate happening um, Mm -hmm. led by the Greens and David Pocock on one side um, and the Labor Party really digging in around this issue of actually we're just going to invest $10 billion in the stock market and when we make a bit of money from that we'll invest that then in building new homes, um, (laughs) community and social housing. And the Greens are going, no, actually we need to see a broader suite of issues and it, the policy debate is again being, you know, in our, through our media, only characterised in terms of the political risks um, mm-hmm. that the Greens may face, uh, The you know, the anti-housing coalition, as even Penny Wong is dubbing uh, all of these people who are raising what would, one might think are legitimate concerns about um, the way that this new housing stock is going to be paid for and the volume of it, i.e., the fact that it's very, very small. Yeah, these um, are
2: completely legitimate concerns to hold over policy that affects the livelihoods and well-being of many, many Australians. What we the idea that considering it, interrogating it, looking at case by case study across the world, we've seen many of these policies work and have negative effects in other countries Previously. And we don't get this discussion in Australia. We just we get told it's... that they're blocking things, that they're making things difficult, just get on with it kind of thing. It's a very strange framing.
1: What will happen at the next election if they have to yeah. go to their electorate saying they blocked this, you know, very poor housing policy being implemented? I mean our Overton window really is much smaller when it comes to a whole range of things. And that I guess leads a bit into um some of the points that uh, Ronnie was making in her article for The Shot this week is that we have a a government which is manifestly better on a lot of things in a lot of ways but they do refuse to kind of get in and tackle some of these really big issues, whether for it's a lack of political courage or yeah. they are now reaping the rewards, as it were, in an inverse sense from their lack of courage before the election. So they're now they're all about we're implementing this sort of small conservative suite of policies that we took to the election, even though clearly circumstances have changed and crises are growing. Well, they could.
2: Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, they don't actually we're taking to, the boot off your neck 10% yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. And it is better. It is absolutely better. And while they're doing this, they are, I mean, I think Ronnie's piece was quite sharp in pointing out the difference between their actions and the techniques they are using, similar to the techniques Scott Morrison's previous government used of Meaningless nonsense in soundbite form that sounds deep but actually distracts and muddies waters. Mm. Like no one left behind, no one held back kind of thing. It it is it's have a go to get a go. And the sooner everybody recognises that and accepts it, the better we can all be.
0: That's yeah, and that's universal politics though. That's universal PR, that's that's sort of universal placating, appeasing language. Um, It is,
2: and can I also just say quickly: the sooner we accept that we're all susceptible to falling for this stuff, the better off we all are. It is not just something that you know the stupid people on the other side of politics fall for. We all do. We all have these weaknesses that are exploited. It's basic human psychology. Well, yeah. We need. It's our job to look out for these instances, these blind spots in ourselves that we haven't noticed yet.
0: Mm. And this is this is the thing: the gulf between. What is presented to the public and what is known by the people in power is quite large. Um, in order for them to main power, they have to withhold a degree of knowledge from the people that are consuming it, um, and and so they have to, uh, you know, they have to sort of understand. Well, they have, they yeah, they have to come up with some kind of strategy to um, translate their huge stock of, of information, um, into a, uh, into a smaller, um, watered down, um, amount so that they can go on being ahead of the game. They have to be, they have to be ahead of us at all times. Um, and, and so that, you know, it feels like secret keeping, which personally I, I don't, agree with and that's sort of why I've always sort of said to people like I just don't I don't I don't like politics universally because for me I I believe that if you have have knowledge about something um you know especially when it comes to child protection it is the duty it is the responsibility to be able to communicate that as openly as possible as widely as possible um you know because it's in secrecy and in silence that that things are able to actually fester and and to, to happen um and so you to be able to like to stop that that's how you you know you you, you communicate openly and widely um yeah. and so that that spin doctoring that sort of veil of doubt wherever there's doubt wherever you look at a sentence and you go oh that's a bit ambiguous like what does that actually mean to me that's where like I feel unsafe and like you know that sort of again that you know when you like would teach, when, if you teach a kid to, like, keep a secret or something like that. I'm just like, oh, well, yeah. Mm. Anyway.
1: Well, it it's, is interesting. I think one thing that we can note this week that did happen as a result of the um, Tasmanian stadium communication debacle was that uh, the Tasmanian government lost their majority. They had two members of the state <laughs> parliament uh, resign and join the crossbench, which now means there is no majority government um of the Liberals anywhere in the country. So the Liberals
2: are a persecuted minority now. That's ironic. I don't know if
1: they're persecuted. They are well, persecuting they, them. Yeah, but they receive um, just opprobrium, I think, for things that they do. Uh, but I don't, I don't <laughs> think that's persecution. I think that's justice. Um, yeah, I But agree. also,
2: Thanks, not right. <laughs> only did
1: the Liberals lose their majority in the the Tasmanian parliament but they lost or are about to lose will be imminently bereft with the departure from federal politics of brother Stewie. stewart you Robert. sound like you're grieving he really, song. really really cut Our up He'll by song this boy. i think of, you know it is a close race when it comes to <laughs> the coalition front bench but i would have to say that he probably is the most corrupt it's not a, of it's the not a race joke it's never a race But he was one, I think. Apart, so Angus Taylor is um, accused uh, of <laughs> um, behaving in ways and implement and you know exploiting um, his knowledge of various systems for personal enrichment through all of the Watergate scandals, which to yeah. actually personally was the scandal that first brought um, Ronnie Salt to my attention with the work that she and jommy had done on all of the East Asia, uh, East eastern asian australian kind of barnaby joyce angus taylor 80 billion dollars for for nothing for floodwaters all of that kind of thing so but at least when he got into parliament he stopped um, Engaging in corporate behaviours that enrich himself, whereas we think so. (laughs) Whereas Stuart Robert actually just brazenly kept on going, and just even whilst he was in Parliament was engaging in all sorts of nefarious activities, um, which actually were well documented by Rick Morton in uh, last week's Saturday paper, or perhaps the week before was actually. No, I think it was last week, um, where he listed. All of the scandals, and like Angus Taylor, they make for a long list. I'm surprised he could fit it all into the word count that the Saturday paper would have given me. I mean, uh, you got to him.
2: admire you got to admire staying true to yourself. He didn't let politics change him, you know. Like it's probably the no, best thing he you did, could say about Stewart. He Stuart really Lawrence. did
1: not. He really did not. But he left. He so he has announced his uh, intention to resign. From Parliament. He hasn't actually done it so that he can still keep drawing the salary, but he's not coming back to Parliament. He was even prepared to miss the now postponed um, trip from Joe Biden in order to avoid having to come back into Parliament and face the latest round of accusations about personal enrichment um, through his parliamentary. Processes and that really does seem to be the most clear cut in some ways. That when he was doing his secret lobbying um, for a mate's consulting company, um, when hauled before the Senate committee, the Senate inquiry, the mate basically threw him under the bus and said, Yes, monies that we were raising um, through this series of consultancies and the government contracts that we were getting through a company known as. Synergy 360 um, was passing money to a vehicle of Stuart Roberts. So it's I think it's the first time that we have um, now documented and through witness statements that he was getting direct personal benefit from the secret lobbying that he was undertaking for his mates. Do you,
2: do you think his role in the Robodebt Inquiry had something to do with his downfall as well, Joe?
1: No, I don't actually. I think that he was just going to brazen that out. I mean, I think that they just... they hoped um, that because there was sort of enough blame to go around really and he was just the last one standing with the exploding bomb in his hands when the music stopped, um, yep. I don't think that actually and he you know he's already spinning it was uh, like, I was the one who stopped it against all of the other evidence from the senior public servants that he actually wanted to keep going even after the solicitor general had said this this thing's illegal and you know Porter had gone yeah mate it is uh, I think it is actually very much the personal potential personal criminal liability which he may <laughs> be confronting if the allegations yeah, <laughs> are found to be true um so That will be a sad day. Brother Stewie out the door, um, so there'll be another uh, by-election. Can I just say,
2: this goes to to one of the, you know, sub-points in Ronnie's piece that as a population, as a country, as a democracy, we really do deserve better representatives than exactly this sort of person.
1: We really do. And look, and I think some of that, that was... Some of it was what last year's election was about. Um, and Absolutely. yet I think by virtue of it being a majority Labor government rather than minority with a crossbench of independents and Greens holding their feet to the fire, we're missing out on some of the benefit of that in a big picture sense. I'm sure that all of the independents and Greens are doing great work for their electorate in on the committee systems and, you know, burrowing away into some of the kind of the policies and making amendments here and public statements there, but it isn't having quite the impact that the the balance of power would have had, where the government mm-hmm. wouldn't simply be able to pontificate about the anti-housing coalitions um, when they if they didn't have a majority in the House of Reps as well. But there will be a by-election in Fadden, and then the big question is is will the member for Cook also resign? Uh, in time for there to be a by-election in Cook on the same day as the by-election in Fadden, which is slated to be at some time in July. Um, and, look, I think the money was always on, well, maybe an even bet, but it just seems that poor old Scotty can't find himself a job. All, always, I, always nobody miss- wants to employ him.
0: I, I, I can't imagine why that would be. Always misspelt that one, member for Cook. Cookers.
1: (laughs) um, (laughs) But uh, it is like the hilarious, I think the most hilarious thing that I've read this like in a long time was, and admittedly this was, Um, written like the story wasn't written but the decision was made prior to PWCs like imploding like the spontaneous combustion that PWC Australia has been doing in slow motion over the last few months but even they disgraced PWC Australia said that they couldn't take on Scott Morrison in an advisory role because of the reputational risk that that would pose the fact that the most amoral, unethical and now disgraced <laughs> oh. um, organisation yeah, in Australia. We, we can't have over. a former
2: prime minister <laughs> in our company. It's a really bad look. We just
1: like, <laughs> <yep>. Plausibly <laughs> deniable until you're liable, eh?
2: It's hey. hey. just
1: so great. So he's, he is left. And as we've discussed before, although, and this with Charles had the the insight into this, is that he did try out to be the kind of charismatic Hillsong leader on a national scale and yeah. uh, international scale. But it turned out that as we could have told anybody who was this thing, that he isn't actually charismatic enough to be a charismatic preacher. So that was another strike. <laughs> so it seems to, it is now all down to whether or not he can rustle up the job in the orcas space as they say, along with all of the other uh, ex-coalition um, front benchers who have their snout in that particular trough. And there seem to be many of them led, of course, by uh, my fellow South Australian Christopher Pine. Oh, the, my God, the, it's bleak.
0: The brothers in arms dealing.
1: Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I can't imagine what whoever this British company is. So if it's BAE, I mean, all they seem to be doing is just like spurting more money up against the wall. So I think we've now found, what is it? It's not the submarines. It's yet more of the hardware that we've been requiring from them is late, is doubling, tripling in price. So I guess Morrison's good at that kind of thing, going into organisations and make, th- make things fuck up so they lots, come late and, and they lots cost of experience.
2: more. He has lots of experience ordering things slowly and inefficiently and getting them late. Any vaccinated Australian will remember that one.
1: They certainly will, but it does seem it seems odd to go on an international search for ex-prime ministers to have someone just to come in and be incompetent uh, on your behalf.
2: Well, it's a little bit like remember when the UK were putting out feelers and they ended up you know taking Tony Abbott into them to teach them <laughs> about how to deal with Australia and it's just a remarkably Bad choice. And, and here we are a few years later, and they're like harping on about how they stopped the boats and literally rerunning the exact same three word slogans.
1: It is interesting. I mean they, I mean the Conservatives are in more hilarious disarray over in Britain than actually the coalition is here, it well, seems. And well, they're now kind of fighting of, amongst themselves. So let's
2: bereft of any real ideas and any real vision, all you have is fear and different ways to stoke it. This is where we get these uninspiring corrupt assholes just peddling these lines, dividing us.
0: Let's talk about the, uh, let's talk about not Scott Morrison's um, front facing allies and talk about his covert power brokers
1: behind the scenes. Ooh. Oh, ooh. Ooh. you mean the the kind of the, the faceless men, and there are all men in Morrison's case. He, like literally, had no kind of senior women at all in his kind of either you, in his sort of closest circles. They were all men. Yeah. So what?
0: Oh, like you tell us, well, like, well, like you, yeah, you know, like his private secretary, like um, like Yaron Finkelsteins, and yeah you know yeah people like that all of
1: whom were kind of uh it was between They kind of came from the crosby text uh, yeah yeah kind of mold from yeah. the who, who, mineral council of australia mold you know all of them kind of the, that revolving door of that sort of who were also that type of heavily in,
0: heavily involved in in boris johnson's ascension to power
1: yeah yeah both well particularly even when he was Mayor, Um, that's Mm. where I think the Crosby-Texter connection first developed and then they were using that whole, in fact I think it was during when he was doing analysis um, was it Texter was doing the I know Crosby, one of them, was doing the um, analysis of the victory in Boris Johnson's mayoralty campaign that the kind of throwing the dead cat on the table Mm. uh, phrase first came into the public public consciousness. It was clearly known as a strategy behind the scenes for a long time but it wasn't until that moment that we all understood that that was the sort of the dirty distraction of you know
0: and all of these how hideous
1: can one be
0: and all of these women were used as dead cats all of these women that that the awful tabloid coverage of these women who he was associated with especially in the past because he had a lot of flings with women who were, who were people who are yes yeah who are people yeah. you know they're not objects they're people and a lot yeah. of them were, and then whose careers were, were essentially destroyed. They were followed, you know. And the Daily Mail tapped their phones, and some of them had, some of them had miscarriages and abortions. And do people like, you know, obviously people know, like females know the experiences of these things. But like they were dragged, they were dragged through the mud. And yeah, as somebody, as somebody who's had their life since they were a child, like from the age of sixteen authored beyond their control like that experience is so horrific and you cannot do anything about it and you shouldn't have to go out in the street and think does this person have an opinion on me based on something I had nothing to do with the authorship of you know where somebody wasn't there you know and like there's always more complexity beyond what is seen in a reduced you know top line um article that has no nuance in it and like these are people who had like the ultimate invasion of privacy their phones hacked um daily mail people um you know follow them stalk them which is predatory in of itself and yeah. like the that is just that, that is not a that is not a pr strategy that is like organized crime um but like and the, we have the same machinations um or similar machinations here in in australia and throughout my year as Australian of the Year in 2021, I saw a lot of that too. And it was horrendous. It was horrendous. Mm. <clears throat> and and what, what, well, what has gone on behind the scenes um, is is horrendous. It's, it's dirty. It's dirty. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It does seem to be, I mean, there's both the filthy way that, you know, the media behaves in order to kind of get these stories. But it does seem to be that people like Boris Johnson and Scott Morrison and so on, it's like whoever they come into contact with, they leave this sort of residue of filth and scandal. <laughs> because and that's, that not,
0: that's just... not politics, though, because that's
1: not politics. That's bullying. So
2: the type of people they are. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. But, well, that's the way that so much... Bully. Political behaviors can morph into bullying, and where that line is, you know, that whole um, this is just the robust give and take of political life, um, being used as a shield or as an excuse for kind of poor behavior it's, because it's and used, where that line and is, and it's using
0: it's using it's using outlets like you know, your Murdoch. Um, outlets like Rupert Murdoch's outlets like you know whoever they are
1: it's lucky because we could not get through a a podcast without Rupert Murdoch coming in from well (laughs) sorry but no no not at all Grace. I'm
0: just glad
2: it was Grace that brought him him up and not me this time
1: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: it's you know because you wouldn't and and working for an organization like Rupert Murdoch you have to like you, you know working for working for an organization like that you work for them because you wouldn't be able to get away with a lot of the behaviour anywhere else, and you know yep. you are working for like you know and and sort of enlisting you know enlisting and a, I guess you, you can call them agents like that or operatives like that as your personal shiv, You know, <laughs> like that's yeah. that's really what that is, and it's yeah, it's almost like this hive mind kind of what isn't almost it is, and. To go, to go into that or to, to be, to, to enter into that from the outside or as, uh, like as somebody who is, you know, again, who's grown up with, I've, I've had somebody chase me home, um, that's not to do with that but to do with other things that I've experienced by virtue of like, you know, being abused by a child sex offender and there's other underbelly experiences that are separate to that and then you bring all that into that that context. Like it's... It's pretty, yeah. It's pretty mm. nasty stuff.
2: You were saying before that it's a it's a people thing. I I wonder us if there is a a politics thing element to it because, it the system as it works does seem to reward this type of personality and this well, type of psyche. It's
0: blackmail. It's it's blackmail. It's and- horse trading. It's gossip. It's it's really, really, it's a really awful thing.
2: It's also like the ruthlessness to to pull yourself to the top, you know, without worrying who you're crushing on the way up. Those sorts of people do kind of make it to the top quite often. I mean, you see it in corporate America. You see it in politics that you know actual bona fide diagnosed oh. psychopaths are overrepresented in these key roles at the top rungs of society, because that is actually a trait rewarded by these systems, which I think the question needs to become, well, what about these systems needs to change so that... We're not rewarding psychopaths because we really don't want them. Well, not just our lives, but the, way the way destruction of
1: our planet is now imminent because the psychopathy is such that it's, you know, it's all about the money and the shareholders yeah. um, and personal enrichment and ambition and fuck the rest of the world. And we are now reaping the consequences of that too um, as our planet disintegrates around us.
0: Mm-hmm. Literally. The devil. Like I, like yeah. I mentioned before. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, good, time. good times. The devil. Uh, The devil is just (laughs) so yeah. So happy Thursday morning. um, Less an optimistic (laughs) note this week. Um, Look, you know, we've got another week to kind of bring ourselves back into the general feeling of and optimism that normally permeates these uh, these podcasts. I'm sure. And also next week we have the fabulous Ronnie Salt joining us um, to talk a little bit more about her latest article for the Shot, and then just generally, I mean, I've got lots of questions still about the kind of just seemingly another gift that never stops giving, which is David Hurley's leadership forum um, and the ways that he and his personal private secretary just kept kind of navigating through that to get lots of money for this odd, strange networking circle that was mostly to be hosted, it would seem, at Government House. So we can perhaps talk a little bit about that next week as well. Oh, David David um, Hurley,
0: is ex he's ex-military, isn't he?
1: Uh, they're all ex-military. Yes. These um, they're either ex-church, and look how well that worked out for um, for John Howard and Hollingworth. Now, <laughs> finally, having stepped down yes. um, from officiating uh, in a military ah. sense. Um or military, because that's who the conservative okay. side of politics. This is this is fetishized. the thing. This is what
0: we've got to look at. We've got to look at these these hegemons. These you know, you've got the church, you've got military, you've got. Um, I mean, but but it's big business, really. It's big. It's these in. It's yeah. These in. They
1: follow the money. Yeah, follow the money as ever. Um, so we'll look forward yeah. to that discussion next week. Thank you for joining us covert, today. Covert um, power is how big decisions are made. People, get your, there. We go. Get your tinfoil hats out for next week. Bring them out. Bring them ready. Uh, we're on the, the devil's chessboard. See, I knew that. And uh, the devil's chessboard. Um, and our equipment <laughs> is book. by... I don't have any equipment, so I won't finish that sentence. Thank you all very much. Well, you'll hear from us next week. Dun, dun. Planning for your
0: next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more